On today's podcast, we have Lee Paulsa. Lee is an advocate at so many levels, whether it be political, environmental. She really does advocate for positive change. In her current role at Sci Exchange, she extends that to a much broader role in the way that she engages both young people and adults alike. And with a golden rule that you need to bring as many people to the table, Lee and the folks at Sci Exchange are doing great things to create scientific change. So please lean in and enjoy my conversation with Lee Paulson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the pod. Today we have um, somebody who's familiar with at least our Rysci Match programming, who's always willing to uh, give us a little bit of her time, and that is Lee Palsa. Lee, welcome to the pod. Thanks so much, Brian. Happy to be here. Lee, tell us a little bit about your role at Ryerson. Yeah, I have a pretty unique role. Um, I'm one of the coordinators at Sci Exchange, which means that I run science outreach and communication programs. So a lot of that has to do with reaching out to the community, running programs for youth, uh, events for the general public, and um, yeah, working on collaborations with different communities in order to bring our programs to them. And that we'll get more into Sci Exchange and what it does because it's a fantastic program. Um, and like I said, you and, and Emily and the rest of the team have been fantastic at supporting students and giving them great opportunities. Uh, Lee, let's go back to when you were a kid. Did you know what you wanted to be? No, I kind of changed year to year. Um, I definitely remember wanting to be a teacher and also wanting to be an astronaut, which is still my dream job. <laughs> Do you, oh, okay. So uh, actually, you're not the first person to say that on the pod. I think other people have also said astronaut, which is surprising. Why did you want to be an astronaut, Lee? Um, I don't know. I watched a lot of adventure movies as a kid and I just thought, uh, you know, we've explored a lot of earth, but we haven't explored a lot of space. I actually think I'd be scared out of my mind if I actually were to go into space. And I, I know that I don't do well in isolation, so <laughs> it probably wouldn't work out very well for me, but, <laughs> um, it's still, it's still a, a dream of mine. <laughs> It would, I think it would be cool if you could just go up in a rocket and then come right back down like it was an airplane flight. Exactly. <laughs> just, just to get that one photo image and say you were in space. <laughs> yeah, that would be perfect. <laughs> and, and once they work all the bugs out and we have a Starship Enterprise, then that'll be a different story and then we can travel. Exactly. I was a Trekkie as a kid, so. So when did you, when did you find science? Like where, when did that uh, creep into your, um, to your life? Um, it's funny because I grew up in a household of book lovers and I always say that I'm partially illiterate. <laughs> so, Relative to them. I yeah. Assume. So I, I always felt like I was not like the rest of them. Um, and I was always good at math and science. So I don't really remember a time before that. Um, and then in high school, I did all of the sciences. Uh, you know, I was kind of a big nerd. That was my thing. I really liked that. Um, but it wasn't until kind of partway through my undergrad career that I really figured out where it was that I fit into science. And for that, I had to do a lot of soul searching around um, what, was, what were the things that really made me um, love science. And I ended up 
reflecting a lot on my time as a kid spending time outdoors. I was really lucky to be able to go to camp, um, spending lots of time outside with my family. And uh, yeah, so that's when I kind of discovered myself as the eco bio nerd that I am today. Perfect. So where is hometown for you? I grew, was, in, where we... I grew up in Scarborough, Ontario. Yeah, shout so, out to Scarborough, everybody on the of podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting at the corner of uh, Danforth Ave and Warden, so I'm in southwestern Scarborough, but I, I, can, I, I feel like I can relate. It's our hood. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so where did you, where did you, when you were a kid and you were being outdoors, where did you like going when you were out, when you were in Scarborough? So I grew up in southeast Scarborough and I spent a lot of time on the bluffs. Um, the Scarborough Bluffs, which are really famous. If you live in and around Toronto, I highly recommend going to check them out. They're really cool geological features. Um, when I was a kid, I used to climb up and down them, which you're definitely not supposed to do, and it contributes to erosion, so definitely my bad. Um, but yeah. yeah. We, like, we live, we learn, right? That's yeah. I, I was just thinking, I was like, how in the hell would you scale those things? I'm just thinking of what they look like right now because it is, it's almost perfectly vertical. And so yeah. I was just like, oh, good for well, you, you survive. Kids have a lot lower center of gravity, so... <laughs> Yeah. We were, yeah, we were able to do that a little bit easier than you normally would, but uh, yeah. But for um, all our listeners, was, we don't do that now. It's wrong. No, it's wrong. Very bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although on my wedding day, I did hop a fence over so that I could take a picture on the edge of the bluffs, which I feel wow. justified in doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think they're gorgeous. And if you've ever taken a Porter flight, Porter, when I go into the Toronto airport, it goes coming from the east it always drops down and it, it's almost at the level of the bluffs and that was the first time I saw them and I was like I have got to go there they look incredible like you know like those pictures yeah. of Dover, Dover like in the UK where you see the big features of sandstone but obviously yep. very different so, so on our wedding day we had a drone and uh, it flew over the bluffs and took a picture so that my husband and I were on the bluffs and you can see the whole bluffs and then us it's sick. That, that is, I, I, it's too bad this isn't a video thing that we can share because I think that would. Be and your husband Aiden, who's a who's a who's a great chap. Uh, we'll talk more about maybe that, those people later. So schooling, you said you went to you did your undergraduate. Where did you where did you do it? I did it at the University of Western Ontario. I refuse to call it Western University. <laughs> <laughs> like all alumni, straight Yep. Uh, in London, Ontario, I chose that because my, um, at the time, my grandparents uh, still lived in London, Ontario. It's where my mom grew up. And so it was a nice way for me to be away from my immediate family, but still close to family. Home away from home. Yep. And what, yeah. so what, subject, what subject did you take there? So I started in biomedical science. Um, with the goal of being a doctor of course (laughs) (laughs) like all budding scientists without too much imagination uh we think we're going to be doctors and then i think you know this story but uh in my first year right after christmas um first biology lecture back i'm sitting in class and the prof says, you know, who wants to go to med school? We all put up our hands and 
he goes, okay, look to your left, look to your right. Statistically, none of you are going to med school. There's going to be three people in this class of 600 people who will get into med school. Um, so then I had to sit down and think really hard about whether or not I was going to be one of those three people. And I decided no. Um, and the way that I came to that decision is not because I didn't think that I could work hard enough or be smart enough to get into med school. It's because I had just never really thought about all of the different options that there are in science. And so when I started trying to figure out all of those options, it really got me going on a journey. Um, and funnily enough, I had a different major pretty much every year of <laughs> university. <laughs> so I'm I laughing because I did too for the first few. <laughs> yeah. So definitely like all within like biology, but you know, I had a minor in pharmacology at one point. I think was majoring in genetics at one point, almost failed were you, cell were biology. You were you trying to find what it was that you were looking for in science? Like you, you were just, yeah. like, and it didn't, it didn't cause you any sort of fear or, or like that you couldn't find something at the time. Um, I definitely, I think I had a lot of fear about what I was going to do after university, but I don't think I always felt like I belonged in science. So I don't think I had that fear. Um, which I'm really lucky. And it's, and I, I'm actually, it's really good that you did because you're doing some amazing, <laughs> amazing stuff right now. So what, okay, major transitions before Ryerson. So you completed your undergrad and the degree that you did complete, or sorry, your, or your program that you completed was what? I ended up with conservation biology. Okay, conservation biology. So then yeah. what did you do after your undergrad? So I was planning to take a year off and kind of get some work experience, um, but we were coming out of the 2008 recession. And so I thought, well, this is the time that if I want to go and do more schooling, um, I might as well. So I found a program at Dalhousie um, called Resource and Environmental Management. It was a master's program. And it was course-based, so I didn't do a thesis. Um, I did an internship and a big project, and I thought that that would give me some of the hands-on experience that I really wanted and that I found was lacking in my undergrad. Did so, you, did you, sorry, did you, yeah, did you ever do a thesis in your undergrad? I did, yes. Okay. I studied tall grass prairies. Um, it was a really cool project, um, and it taught me that I definitely do not want to do research. <laughs> Fair enough. Sometimes I often question that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy that other people do research, but especially in kind of the conservation biology field, it means, you know, becoming an expert on that one fungi that grows on the root of this one single wildflower. And it just, it seemed a little too specific to me. I like being big picture. Yeah. And you love science. So, okay. So you did this course at Dalhousie, a uh, master's degree. Uh, how long did it take? Was it just it's a year 16 or 16 months. Okay. Yeah. And so then what did you do after Dalhousie? So I stuck around on the East Coast because I loved it out there. And um, I worked, I got a, about a six or eight month contract with the Nova Scotia Nature Trust and was working on their nature reserves. Um, so they are a land trust and they um, work similar to our provincial governments to create nature reserves and parks. However, all of these parks are part of the private land system. 
Okay. And so um, it creates a really unique opportunity for conservation for folks who, you know, maybe have cottages or large pieces of property that they don't want to see developed um, once they pass away or um, later on in life. And so it's a way for them to make sure that those areas are conserved in perpetuity. Um, so yeah, so I worked for them, learned a lot, uh, came back to Toronto and worked for another land trust called the Escarpment Biosphere Conservancy. And uh, then I landed a job, it was really a dream job with Friends of the Rouge Watershed um, back out in area. Scarborough. Yeah, that's another area in Scarborough. If people ever get a chance to go, it's it's massive, the watershed, and there's many connection points that all the way up to where I play golf north of Markham, all the way down to the water. And I didn't notice this until the last time I went to Oshawa on the train, how cool it is right at the lake. Because you don't usually, I don't, I never went down to the lake part. Anyway, mm -hmm. sorry I interrupted, but it's a cool area in Scarborough if you want to see some nature. Yeah, it's awesome. So I did a lot of um, ecological restoration with them and also a lot of community outreach. Um, so that's where I started doing lots of school programs, bringing classes out to the Rouge, doing nature walks um, and restoration projects with youth. And um, then also doing a bunch of advocacy around getting the national park established, which it now say, is. Yeah, because so you would have been there for the transition when it became, yep. uh, I guess in the, it was the centennial, not centennial, but the, uh, the birthday, 150 birthday. Is that when it became a uh, an actual Parks Canada site? Yeah, essentially. Uh, there were a few kind of very official steps along the way. Um, so it seemed like every year they had an announcement of the park being created. But <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, so you know, they, sometime they between deal. like 2017 to 2017, 2018 type thing. That's cool. So what, what brought you to Ryerson in the end? Like what, I mean, that seems like it's a really cool opportunity. What was it that drew you to Ryerson? Um, yeah, well, um, the funny thing about working for an environmental um, nonprofit is that um, no one tells you that you have to find money to pay yourself and um, you're not really going to have a lot of help along the way. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, at one point, uh, there was a team of three of us. Uh, one of the employees left. And so I essentially took on all of that employee's work and then added another project to my plate. And then I still was getting paid the same amount that I was as a single person. So um, yeah, it, it's really hard work. It's really rewarding work. Um, but I got burnt out okay. after almost four years there. Um, and yeah, there, you know, it, this is, that's the way that that industry works. Unfortunately, there's not enough people paying people to do the work that's needed. And, um, so we underpay those people and we force them to work long hours and, um, in incredibly difficult situations. Um, and so, yeah, it gets, it gets really difficult. Um, and you, you know a lot of people now, even today, who are in the nonprofit sector and, and yeah. you, as well as them, are real heroes. It takes a lot of courage <laughs> to, to, to do this because you're living from potential grant to potential grant. I mean, it's funny, you said you didn't want to be a researcher, but 
essentially you were taking on all the hardship of being a researcher by doing exactly what you were doing in, in, in that role, right? Because if you don't have money, you can't do your research. And if you don't have, in your case, if you don't, couldn't get the money, secure the money, you didn't have a job. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's hard, but we know a lot of people in nonprofit and there are lots of great nonprofits, all, everyone, all across the city looking for people's involvement and support. And hopefully yeah. nothing else that can encourage them to get involved. So, okay. So Ryerson, Ryerson had an outreach program. You were looking yeah, for Yeah. So I was looking to kind of transition and, um, uh, Emily, Dr. Agard created this position from scratch and it had a lot of good things that really attracted me to the position, like, um, working with the community, um, talking about science, uh, doing science outreach, um, which isn't something that I really considered, uh, myself to have any expertise in, except that when I looked at all of the advocacy work that I had done within work and outside of work, that's all science communication. Um, and so, yeah, it it turned out to be a really great fit for me. Um, and I'm super lucky to have landed here. Um, and other than being an astronaut, I think this is my dream job. (laughs) (laughs) And you might find somebody, you might still realize that, that amazing job. And I'm, and we're really glad to have you because, and I, and we, we can never get late because she's always so busy. Uh, but Emily has been a, a good friend since I started here. has not been an easy thing getting to where uh, outreach is now uh, because it, it effectively runs like a nonprofit, <laughs> largely, right, with the university mm-hmm. support. So let's talk about what you do uh, and your role in outreach. And uh, specifically, what, what, do, what is your, as a coordinator, what is the day to day operation? And then it's, it's really cool because you, of, of staff members, you are one of the few roles that actually interact with students. So let's talk about what a day in a coordinator life looks like, and then we'll talk about the students. Yeah, so I realized early on in my career that I wanted to be in a job where it didn't have, where you didn't go to work and do the same thing every day. That was really important to me. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to environmental work because um, inherently it's seasonal and you're going to have different things to do depending on what the season is. And it's the same in education. Um, So in September, we're starting up programs. We're running, um, getting into schools, doing outreach programs, uh, training volunteers, training our new staff. Um, And then in the new year, we're usually kind of in a position where we have some staff trained, we have some volunteers trained, we can start to take on some bigger projects, do some bigger um, events, that type of thing. And that all culminates in May when we do Science Rendezvous, which unfortunately got cancelled this year. But uh, it's basically a, a massive science festival. It's our biggest event of the year. Um, and then we head into the summer and we always have a really amazing summer team that does summer camps and different programs um, to keep kids uh, engaged in science and STEM uh, during the summer months. And then we run back into the fall and start it all over again. <laughs> so, and, you, and Science Exchange also does, a, outside of Rendezvous, a lot of adult advocacy. Like a lot of times when we think of outreach, we think of talking to younger people, but you guys have some really cool uh, programs and you just hosted a conference for SciComm. Tell us a little bit about, about what happened there and, and the outcomes of that conference. 
Yeah. So we have been involved in a, um, an informal network of folks who are really passionate about science communication for quite a few years now. Um, and along with RCI Science, the Royal Canadian Institute for Science, and SciExchange, we took over kind of facilitation of that network um, about a year and a half ago. And we decided that we wanted to launch this um, conference so that we can strengthen the network, um, provide some more professional development opportunities for folks who are interested in this field, um, and really start to bring the expertise that we have available in the GTA together. Um, what was really surprising was that we had interest in this conference that was really supposed to be very localized um, from across the country. So someone came from Vancouver where they have a really um, strong budding um, SciCom Vancouver group. And we even had a senator from Nova Scotia attend who was really interested in science literacy and science communication um, and bringing that into the policy realm in Ottawa. Um, so it was uh, very well received. We were shocked. We kind of had to keep on adding capacity to the event um, to make sure that we had room for everyone. Um, and eventually we hit capacity and we couldn't, we actually sold out, which was not something that we thought, it wasn't a problem we thought we'd run into, um, but it was yeah. definitely a great problem to have. And so I was one of those people that got tickets and then I, I realized that, oh, maybe I'm too busy. And then so before I could even say that, somebody was, I think it was Nathan, was already reaching out to me saying, are you going to use your ticket? <laughs> because, they, <laughs> because there were so many people interested in trying yep. to get involved. And so that was a fantastic result. I, and I'm really glad that Ryerson has taken over or, or has shown leadership in this space because uh, it's not always a great for communication. It's great for, for what you guys are trying to do. And I think what I would like to, to see Ryerson do as well. So what, 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 what kind of lesson do you think, what, what, what can, if you could identify one lesson in all of this in terms of how you communicate science? I think what we've learned is that there is no one size fits all when it comes to science communication. And so that you really have to think about who is it, that you're trying to communicate for and who is it that you're trying to communicate to. And so you're not going to create the same message for everyone. You're going to create kind of individualized programs for different communities based on what their needs and interests are. Um, so I think that's the big kind of takeaway and one thing that I will mention is um, in the environmental science world, it is still dominated by um, white and Western centric um, thought. And that was one of the things that I got um, really tired of trying to fix from the inside. Um, and so that was definitely one of the things that I was excited about in, um, in my role at Ryerson is being able to influence, um, you know, and encourage diverse people to go into environmental sciences um, because we need more, more voices at the table to represent the diversity of issues that we need to be able to solve. 
that's we went off script there for everybody on the podcast. That was a fantastic answer, Lee, and I think that was spot on because I actually, as you were thinking this, I have a little picture of an ivory tower, a cartoon thing, and and the ivory tower that we created, and the fact that we even say call it an ivory tower is because of a very Western European colonialist idea of what greatness looks like, right, uh, or what this this regime looks like or this paradigm should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely something that I think Sci Exchange is doing a great job at shattering it. And I, and I agree that you need, you can't just force a message down someone's throat, uh, the same message to everybody because it doesn't work, as you said. And I, and the more people we have creating the messaging and, and helping to, to, to translate it, communicate it, uh, is, uh, super important. Yeah. And I should add that, you know, one of Sci Exchange's, um, values and missions is explicitly to support diversified um, voices in STEM and provide opportunities for um, communities that are um, historically underrepresented in STEM to be able to access science programming. So um, yeah, and I think that we really try to put our money where our mouth is. Um, we wanted to be able to reach Indigenous uh, communities and so we hired someone who is Indigenous to lead those programs um, because Emily and I who are not Indigenous, would just not have the expertise needed in order to facilitate those conversations with those yeah. communities. Or, the, or that, that life experience that you need to have as well. Yeah. Um, that's perfect. And, and I still have not met Amber. Is that Amber, name? yeah. Yeah, I still have not met her for three years. I think I've said, I've, I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to try harder. Um, no, so, she's fantastic. So, I, I've, I've seen her from a distance working on, uh, I think that was the tanning one day, but I, had, I, I she was busy. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what you like best about your job. Mm, definitely working with students. That's something that I found out um, when I worked in the environmental sector, I worked with a lot of students and I loved doing that. And so, um, yeah, it's one of my favorite things, whether it's volunteers or student staff, um, or even teacher candidates that we host, it's always amazing to work with them. Awesome. And what do you like least about your job? <laughs> letting students down. <laughs> and what do you mean by letting them down? What would that look like? Um, whether it's, you know, having to um, reject someone for a part-time job or, um, you know, say that we don't have enough capacity to do a program or an idea that they have. Um, saying no is is really difficult. And because this job is so flexible and creative, it's really easy to get carried away with all the things that we could do. And so, um, yeah, having to say no sometimes and make sure that we're really focusing on the things that we can do and can do well is uh, difficult. <laughs> and that, and considering, yeah, that your job is to engage as many people. And when someone's excited and says, hey, I want to do this, and you're like, sorry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, could, I, I, could see, I could see how you'd shrug your shoulders and drop your head and just sort of walk away. Yeah. yeah. What, a lot uh, of times what, Emily has to be like, Lee, do you actually have time to do that? I'm like, no, Emily, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not raining. Yeah, just, <laughs> what, so what inspires you most about your job? Um, 
can I use the same three answers in a row? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you're gonna have to explain yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll switch it up a bit and say younger students. So I try to get into classrooms a few times during the year, um, which is generally what our student staff and volunteers help us out with. Um, but I, I love working with kids. And when they get super excited about a science experiment or a question that you ask them or about what could be possible in science, it's just, um, it's just so heartwarming and exciting. And I, and we used to, we tried to do a um, maker space kits for, for kids uh, as a project a few years ago. And so we interviewed a lot of kids and I, and I would argue that every kid is a scientist and then somehow the system takes it from them. And Absolutely. I don't know, I don't know. I, it could be the competitive nature of the system. It could be, I don't know, people are, are, are shy to ask questions all of a sudden. I don't know what it is, but uh, I, I agree. There's nothing more heartwarming than, than what, what's this? And this, the why, the why, and that's like the, this, mm -hmm. this constant question asking and looking for information. Um, it's pretty cute. It's adorable. Yeah. Uh, so what, what does Sci Exchange need? And, and, and we have some listeners who are always looking to get involved and I think they'll be inspired by some of the things you say. How can, how can students help and what, 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 and you maybe you need to hear from faculty or support. What do you, what does it need? To, to help you do your job better? Uh, we need support from everyone. So um, so if it was students, what would that look like? Yeah, so we, we love having student volunteers. They uh, come to the office, um, help us with our programs. We train them. We send them to schools and community centers to run hands-on science and STEM activities with youth. Um, they also help... Um, in planning some of the large events that we run. They work for us to help manage all of those programs as well. Um, and when I say we need everyone, I mean everyone. Um, chem bio students, physics students, um, we've had engineering students volunteer with us, um, communication students, like we want to bring together as many different kinds of people with as many different kinds of interests because we believe, of course, that science is for everyone, and we want to make sure that um, when we have more voices at our table, it means that we're going to be able to reach even more voices um, out in the general public. And so we have lots of listeners who are in actually food nutrition, which is in the faculty yes. and community services, and that's a group that you don't always get to engage in, but these people with these applied science degrees and, and a love of interacting with humans and helping people like they would be great to draw. Yes, on. So, absolutely. So when is, your, when is your intake time? Like, are you like, do you typically look for a certain window for yeah, people to come our, approach you? Our big intake time is, um, you know, frosh week orientation, that type of thing. So end of um, August, beginning of September, we definitely take in volunteers at any time during the year. Um, we just focus a lot of our training and kind of onboarding at the beginning yeah. of the school year. So when, how do they get in hold of you? Like how would that, what should they just use your email? Cause we can always put that in the, the description of the, of the podcast. Is it, is that the best way or is there an intake form that we can use? Yeah. So if you go to our website, um, ryerson.ca slash sci exchange, uh, we have lots of information on volunteering on the website and you can also just email our general inbox, um, which is sciexchange at ryerson.ca. 
And, and we uh, will we will link yeah. that website URL to our podcast description so people we, have it because that'll yes. be easier. And and from the rest of the Ryerson community, what are you what are you looking for? Well, we get lots of help from um, faculty and uh, the lab techs are hugely instrumental in our programs, being able to set up equipment for us to run activities on campus. Um, and then also just getting input um, and support from faculty, whether it's lending their grad students um, to participate in our programs or participating in the programs themselves from, you know, giving guest lectures, um, interacting with students, that type of thing. Um, those are all, yeah, hugely important. And there's lots of, and for those students who are interested in faculty members, there's lots of crossing over with other programs, not just the SciComm group, but I know Visions of Science and what they do. That's often like there's a reciprocal sort of passing mm -hmm. of, uh, they start with Visions, come to SciExchange, and then go back to Visions. It seems like I see the same people in different, in different roles, um, but it, it is a great community that does a lot to support each other and I think it's fantastic and I encourage anyone who's even remotely interested to, to, to reach out to Lee. Lee we're gonna make a little pivot here so that we can learn a little bit more about you and the fun stuff we call it the rapid-fire section where I just ask you these little questions that you can have short or long answers but I usually want to interrogate why so okay. uh, let's start with the first one what factoid do my colleagues or peers know least about me? Um. I think probably that I never intended to end up in science communication. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are a natural at it. And even the way you were talking about like uh, reaching or doing school visits, I was like, why doesn't she want to, why didn't she never say she wanted to be a teacher in all of that, <laughs> in all of that time? So I thought about like it, but classroom teaching is not for me. <laughs> It's, it sounds like you're surprised as much as, as maybe our listeners would be. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so what famous person, current or otherwise, would you most like to go to dinner with and why? That's a good one. I think Shailene Woodley. A, because, oh, she's, she's an actress. Uh, she's in Big Little Lies and what else? Oh, she did some like teen flick. Anyway, she's also friends with Bernie Sanders, which is why I love her. Um, but yeah, she makes hilarious videos with her friends on Instagram and I think we'd have a really great political discussion. Very cool. And we didn't get into politics here until you just did, but I, <laughs> I deliberately avoided that because I have two, two guests this week, both you and Sarah Kovacs, you should have a, a face to face. You have the similar ideologies, but you both have that same sort of real desire to chat about politics, which I'm like, that's what my grandmother always said. Don't chat about religion <laughs> or politics. That's sort of the way I was brought up. So I won't. There you go, grandma, making you proud. Okay. Yeah. So what, what is your uh, favorite food? Uh, my favorite food is pizza. Makes three now in the podcast, everybody. They, it, pizza just overtook mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> I also eat an apple every day, so. Ah, good for you. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of apple? Granny Smith and Macintosh? Uh, Honeycrisp yeah. is the absolute Ooh. favorite, but sometimes it's a bit too sweet and I go for like a gala or empire. I was going to say the Fuji apples are really good for all that. Mm. What's your favorite beverage? Diet Coke. I'm drinking one Diet right Coke. now. Indeed you are. You said that before we started. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite color? Blue. Blue. 
Complete the sentence. If I was not a coordinator at Rosai Exchange, I would like to be. You already know this one. It's an astronaut. <laughs> I know that. You just said that, but I thought maybe we'd, we'd trick you into going somewhere else with that. Uh, um, okay, something in the top 10 of your bucket list. Um, I don't know that I've ever actually made a bucket list, but uh, my grandfather um, grew up in Norway. He was Norwegian, and so I'd always, I would like to go to Norway. Ooh, that's cool. I think, yeah. yeah, I think that'd be a cool spot. Being Scandinavian, I've often wanted to go back to, to Finland, even though I've never, well, not back, but to Finland. The interesting, I never had a bucket list either until I brought that question up and I'm hearing everybody else's cool things. <laughs> now my bucket <laughs> list is just a combination of what everybody else wants to do. Yeah. Okay. So who is, was your favorite role model? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Um, one who jumps to mind is Mark Arnault, uh, who's a Canadian astronaut. Um, and our transport minister. Yes. Yes. Um, Elizabeth May, for sure. Man, I'm just naming politicians. This is not good. Uh, Actually, <laughs> just so everybody knows, Elizabeth May used to was a lawyer, and she was the one who was as part of the Mulroney government when they did like strangely enough for people who are who are our age or older brian Mulroney's government is kind of infamous in many ways but it did a lot of cool things for the environment and so when you think about the conservatives today and the conservatives of the past they are very very different in terms of of what it's they prioritize. and so elizabeth may was actually worked for brian Mulroney during the and helped set up many of the uh, national parks under his mandate that's before she entered in. That's her first role in politics. I don't know. I've, I've and she also, also won a land, like a, a precedent setting case on forestry in Nova Scotia in Cape Breton yeah. when she, she was still in law school at Dal, I think. I think you'd really, I think that would be a good conversation. In fact, I used to be an official agent for the Green Party in Calgary Center. So I met her when I was there. Maybe I can introduce you. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> So what is your, what is your greatest achievement so far in your very young career? <laughs> um, or life, well, if you want. Since we are talking about Elizabeth May, one of my very favorite moments in my professional life has been um, talking with her uh, office in Ottawa about um, getting our petition to the House of Commons. Um, read by her um, into the house while I was wearing hip waders and pulling out um, an invasive yellow iris in a pond. I was doing this all at the same time. It was like um, one of the best moments of job. my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, my cell phone was actually in a Ziploc in case I dropped it into <laughs> the pond. <laughs> That is actually a great story. I, I, I thought you were going to say while well, pulling out a shopping cart from the Rouge. Oh. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't sure what you were going to get. Okay, what was going to be pulled out of the ground. Um, okay, so that, that's pretty awesome. And I think educating a senator on science policy, which you talked about during the last SciComp thing, is pretty yeah. awesome as well. It, yes, for sure. That's definitely what, been a highlight. Who was a senator? Do you remember her name or their name? Uh, Stan Kutcher. Oh, Stan. Okay. 
Yeah. I've heard his name many a times actually on the uh, podcast. Okay. <laughs> so what was your greatest failure so far? Failure. Well, I remember feeling like when I moved back from Toronto, or sorry, back from Halifax to Toronto, like that was a big failure because I really wanted to stay out east. And um, what was I the draw? Loved... What was the... Yeah, what did you love? What it was? I loved the pace, definitely a lot slower than in Toronto. And um, I loved the work that I was doing out there. I didn't think that I could find something that would be as fulfilling as the, the life and the work that I had built out there. Um, turns out, you know, it turned out to be a really great move for me. But uh, I remember at the time thinking that I had failed. Cool. Um, what are you most grateful for? Right now, I'm most grateful for my job and position at Ryerson. <laughs> yep. I, um, that's understandable. I feel the same way. Yep. Because so many other people are struggling, but yeah. Yeah. In this time, in this time that, that's amazing stuff. And what concerns you the most? What sort of, what keeps you up at night um, in Climate terms change. of climate change and what obviously we kind of love about climate change or we all love that what is it specifically that in that in that challenge that that really frustrates you or makes you nervous um honestly i find all of the issues related to climate change and climate justice um completely overwhelming um it used to be something that i participated heavily in i would go to um, protests, I'd be part of movements, I would, you know, go to meetings every night um, about different organizing. Um, and I became burnt out because we lost so many times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I have taken a bit of a step back from that world. Um, but I'm starting to get back into it. And it, it still doesn't make me hopeful. The more I do, the the less hopeful I feel. So it's the, the lack of hope that, that, that makes you feel that way. Okay. What spot in the world do you most like traveling to? I try to get up to the Bruce Peninsula every year. Um, specifically Tobermory, I guess, if I had to choose a spot. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really beautiful, nestled um, kind of on Georgian Bay and Lake Huron and it's just it's a magical place. I love it too and there's a there's a national park up there that's really cool to visit too both the marine one and then also one I forget the name but Georgian Georgian Bay Georgian Peninsula I forget uh, what it's called now. The, the, the park is amazing. I think it's Bruce Peninsula National Park. Yeah that's I think it is Bruce Peninsula you're right. Yeah. Okay so what is your most productive time of day? Morning. I'm definitely a morning person. And what is your favorite hobby? Ken-Ken. Uh, they're kind of like Sudoku, but there's um, like arithmetic and um, you have to like add and multiply numbers in order to fill up the box. It's great. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, you, you are, you, you did say, describe yourself as a nerd before. And that <laughs> sounds <laughs> like you're really pushing your own limits there. That's amazing. It's, it's pretty nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay what uh, what piece of your pre what piece of advice would you give your second year self 
my second year self um I would say give yourself a break. Um, I developed a lot of anxiety in undergrad. Um, I think because I was worried about where I was going, how I was doing, how I was going to get there, what I was going to do when I got there. Um, all of these kind of what if questions, I, I don't handle that very well. Um, and yeah, so my, my advice would be to chill. <laughs> It'll work out. <laughs> Yeah, and it always does, right? And, and things happen for a reason. And, and sometimes it's not clear what that reason is, but you just have to let it roll, let it go with it. I, I think that's great advice. So how, how are you doing now with all of this COVID situation? You know, what a, uh, would you describe yourself as an extrovert or an introvert? Um, I'm definitely introverted. Um, people always laugh when I tell them that I'm... Uh, I'm actually very nervous about public speaking. <laughs> and they say, well, you do public speaking all the time. You do it for your job. And I go, yeah. And it's still, you know, scares the shit out of me. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. That said, I, I do require um, social interaction in order to be happy. Um, another big reason for wanting to move to Ryerson is because I love working as a team. And so, um, yeah, not being able to see my team anymore is, it really sucks. Um, yeah. but we've been able to, you know, um, get together regularly and chat and, um, chat over Skype and that type of thing. So, or over zoom. So, um, yeah, it's been, I, I think I saw Emily post on LinkedIn a photo of, of the team uh, all sitting together and then, and then Riley being right dead center in the picture. And so oh, yeah. you all, you also got a dog at the start of this pandemic as well. Right. So how, what has that been like? And, and I guess maybe is it helping you cope during this time? Yes, she is. She definitely keeps us busy, um, <laughs> which is good. Uh, gets us outside every day, which is excellent. Um, and yeah, so uh, she's just about four months old now. Um, and we've gotten all like the basic training done, but we need to start training her on like not destroying our slippers and not trying to jump on the counters and eat our food. Um, <laughs> yeah. You just raise your counters higher. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's it, it made me jealous when I heard that you got one because I was like it's something that the both Catherine and I have always been thinking about getting as a dog and when you got you guys like almost had the foresight to get it done at, like the honestly it was uh, Aiden worked his magic I don't know how he did it um, he found this beautiful purebred golden retriever puppy on Kijiji of all places and uh, we got her a week after we went to go and see her and we had to like fight people off <laughs> to claim yeah. her <laughs> but uh yeah. Aiden worked his charm so <laughs> Good for, it was amazing <laughs> so um you can't say your dog in the answer but what has been your uh I actually you know so is that how how else have you been sort of coping for through this this pandemic um other than the dog, other than the dog. uh how have I been coping? 
I don't know. Uh, I would say week to week, it's kind of, there's been ups and downs. Um, I found it really difficult at the beginning because um, Side Exchange essentially had to cancel all of our programs and initiatives. Um, some of these programs were ones that I had worked on for eight months. I had collaborated with new partners. I had um, created entire new programs um, with students that had to get canceled. Um, so that was really hard. That um, I, th I think anybody who was in the events planning space, like even like imagine planning a wedding and, and all these yeah. things that you essentially you're you've been gearing up to deliver this and then nope, sorry, and you had no fault or control of your own. You had to just yeah. dust your hands off and walk away. What, what has been your silver lining in all of this? I'm really excited about the potential of um, creating programs that are available remotely. Something that we've always wanted to do is certainly reach beyond our scope of the GTA. And while I don't think anything is really going to replace um, an in-person interaction um, with a scientist, and I think that that will always have value, I am excited about developing programs that we can take to remote communities to make sure that our programs are accessible for lots of different um, folks across Canada. So, And for our listeners, many of them who are on a, a big project with me this summer, we're redeveloping labs, kitchen chemistry, backyard biology, front door physics. And if we could get your lens on some of these ideas once they become more developed to make sure that they are uh, wide scale, like applicable in some of these rural and remote areas. We really appreciate that as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Lee, you know what? This has been fantastic. You've always been a great friend of the pod and, and <laughs> the pod's just new, but the, 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 the spirit behind the pod. Um, and we could probably talk all day and I'd love to pick your brain more, but in the interest of time, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much uh, for taking your time today and, uh, and joining us. No problem. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Brian. Take care of yourself and don't be too hard on yourself, Lee. That's <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> okay. Have a wonderful rest of your day, Lee. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Bye.